I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode of Another Happy Pod is going to contain spoilers. If you have not experienced the content yourself, then please go ahead and do so before coming back and listening to us ramble on about it. Thank you very much. Another happy pod. Hello and welcome to another happy pod, uh, the podcast where we talk about movies and try and be positive and just have a jolly good old time. Uh, my name is Nathan Bauer. I'm joined as usual by. Are you pointing at me? Okay, this is nice. We can see each other for the first time on the pod, so I'm taking visual cues now. Uh, I am Lawrence. Uh, I am also joined by Nathan. But Nathan, who's that third stranger we have sat with us today? That's right, we've got a stranger in the recording studio that we're definitely all sat in all together and not on a group FaceTime call. Uh, yeah, who the hell are you? Um, this is uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, oh, no. Get out! Leave! <laughs> Boom! No, this is... Uh, uh, I'm Joe, Joe Donnelly. Uh, I'm a friend of um, the Another Happy Pod people. Um, big fan of the podcast, by the way. And what watched... brings you on today, Joe? Why have, why have we brought you in for today? Um, because this is going to be a very, very interesting discussion. And I've been brought in due to my uh, incredible fanboyness of Christopher Nolan. So any chance to talk about um, either just the man himself or his films, his work, I'm there for it. So what, um, when you first saw Christopher Nolan, what made you fall in love with him? Was it his eyes, his quiff? Um, <laughs> it was, it was the fact that he wears the same clothing every, uh, every he, interview and every, uh, film set, I, which I feel like I admire. He does actually do that. Does he? He always wears the, he? he always wears a suit when he's directing. Like he could be, I swear to God, he could be like underwater directing Dunkirk and the man will be wearing a three piece. Like, yeah. <laughs> Does it all the time. Right, right uh, into that. Okay, yes. 
Exactly. Uh, so today we, we are going to be talking about Tenet. So we've brought in Joe, who, as he's kind of articulated, he is basically the resident expert on all things Christopher Nolan. I've never met a bigger fan. Isn't your, your favourite film's Memento, right, Joe? Or like one of your favourites? Yeah, as well. I think it's his best film. And it's one of my favourites. Very nice. What do you think of Prestige? Underrated. Even though it is highly reviewed, but I do consider it underrated. Okay. So... Uh, basically, this, I'm just going to get a quick run round. Uh, what's everyone's opinions on Tenet? It's a, it, I feel like it's come out as a widely diverse film. Let's start with Joe. Let's start with Joe. He's the guest. Let's start with right. Joe. Okay. So, what I think of Tenet is, I honestly think it's a great film. I came out and I knew I enjoyed it. I knew I got a very Christopher Nolan experience. You know, not to mention it was the first film you know, in like months I had seen actually at the cinema. So I knew that going back to the cinema to see a film like that would be the ultimate experience. Um, I thought there was just so much in it in terms of its complex nature that I love about Nolan films. Um, And it just kind of blew me away, the whole concept of it. You know, the whole time inversion thing is was just a wild notion when first hearing about it. And I think to see it all played out in you know, all those amazing sequences. And um, I mean, like for me, the last half an hour of the film is just quite mind blowing, to be honest, in terms of how it's all constructed. But there is, I think in terms of the whole mixed review standpoint is that I did, I did come out and I was thinking, do I feel underwhelmed or is it just because I haven't fully grasped a lot of the film yet? Because I feel like a lot of people probably had that same feeling when it came to Inception. You know, the film comes out, it, they know they saw something good, but it's all a bit of a puzzle to try and put together. And Tenet, I do feel like is the same, but Tenet has this like extra layer for me that is, is it, a, is it bad storytelling or is it just the fact that it's so complex? There is understanding, but am I just dumb, basically? <laughs> so um I, I i really enjoyed the film because there was so much in it that i really really like um and i think when i actually then kind of looked it up and looked more into you know certain plot points and how things kind of were constructed together i was more satisfied because i was like oh my god like because when you watch a chris nolan film no matter how complex it is you know it works somewhere like he's not a person to make something that's just inadvertently rubbish well, I don't. I don't think you're. I don't think you're wrong for necessarily thinking that. Are you dumb or do you just not understand it? Because I. I think I said to. I said. I think I said to both of you guys separately. Uh, when I came out of this, I think that before I watch it again, I'm going to go and get a PhD in physics, um, because it's <laughs> like some of some of the conversations for me were just they were so quick, and that is Chris Nolan's thing. Like he he mainly kind of introduced that style in Inception where there's so much technical jargon being said at such a quick pace that you, as an audience member, you're there going, what the hell am I listening to? Like, I don't understand a word of this. I, I'm, I'm kind of the, the middle point, I think, uh, with Joe. Like, I, I agree with the vast majority of what you're saying. I think this film in itself, um, it, it's a spectacle, like massively. Like it's like I've sat on it for about, I think I saw it about two weeks ago. So I've sat on it for a while thinking about it. And while preparing for this, I did a lot of note taking and thinking as well. It's it's a movie I think is very 
very complicated and complicated in the parts that necessarily I don't think should be complicated. Like, I think it makes a big deal out of the, the, like, the day-to-day stuff of like the spy movie elements like the going to do an art heist why is it like that was very complicated and i thought the bit that should have been more complicated than it was was that the actual time inversion aspect of it um which again can't fault the guy's imagination it's wild like to see that kind of thing play out in a film is crazy the spectacle of this film is immense um but yeah i just i i i think it it was lacking Chris Nolan's usual flair. I feel like some of the characters, uh, I, they just could have been a little bit better fleshed out. I think he put so much effort into telling the story, and a good story it is, but I think the characters suffered because of that. And it's a shame because with David John Washington, or John David Washington, sorry, is that is that the right way around? John David. John David. Yeah. yeah, John David and um, Robert Pattinson especially, I would have really preferred to see them two play much emotionally richer roles than what they got. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my overall. Nathan, I want, I'm eager to hear what you've got to say about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Um, so, like Joan, like you as well, I guess, uh, this was the first movie uh, that I saw in the cinema since uh, February for me, since Birds of Prey, actually, was the last one I saw. Um, so I was really excited to head back to the cinema. I was really excited to have that cinematic experience again. Uh, and I just feel like on the opposite end of Joe, I feel like if I had saw a different movie, it would have been a better experience for me personally, because I, I can't help but feeling uh, let down by my return to cinema experience. Um, now, this movie is you're absolutely right it's a spectacle it is a spectacle it's got great action sequences it's very visually beautiful it's very aesthetically pleasing just like all nolan movies are you cannot fault the guy for that okay the story is just where everything falls apart for me it just seems complicated but overly so i mean inception is complicated but this takes it up to another level. This is like <laughs> 10 times more complicated than Inception. And it just seems completely unnecessary for me. I, I went and saw this movie with my dad, okay? We're, we're smart-ish men. We're not geniuses by any stretch, but we're quite intelligent. Don't, don't downplay the great Carl Bauer like that, Nathan. <laughs> Carl, if you're listening, <laughs> shout out, my friend yeah shout out to carl bauer um but yeah we we walked out of the cinema just feeling like we were set a english or something you know it was just it felt to me like at times chris nolan was just trying to prove how smart he was that's not necessarily the case at all it it just seems like that is the end product of it though like I say, great, great action sequences, great visuals and everything like that. Some great acting and character moments as well. I really enjoyed John David Washington. I really enjoyed Robert Pattinson. Um, some of the writing for the, the I can't remember the name of the actress in this is to be desired a little bit because she didn't have a whole lot to do. Um, is that Elizabeth Debicki's character? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, she didn't really have much to do at all. Um but yeah, just overall the story and the whole complex nature of it, it just 
it didn't have any kind of payoff for me. It was just it was just essentially two hours of Christopher Nolan telling me I'm stupid. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a hot take from Nathan there. Um, yeah. I want to preface this pod by saying, obviously, we are another happy pod, but we thought there's no point getting Joe on, who is, like I say, the master of all things Nolan, if we're not going to do a little bit of a discussion <laughs> and a debate. Yeah, if, no, no, if, as if we're like, there's no point getting you on to to talk about Nolan if we're not even going to challenge you on his <laughs> filmmaking in itself. So we're, we're, today we're, today we're going to be another um, inquisitive pod. We'll change, we'll change the name <laughs> for this. Um, <laughs> So, so no, we'll still we'll still be positive though. We'll still say what we like about it and everything like that. No, we're still like 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 we've all said. We've all said this is a, this is a brilliant movie. Like it's it's incredibly well made in terms of the art of <laughs> filmmaking. Nathan, 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 Nathan did not say that. <laughs> I just went on record that I did not say it's a brilliant movie. <laughs> okay, um, Joe, what do you what do you what do you think about some of the stuff that Nathan said, like with regards to it being? Um, Chris Nolan convincing everyone he's smarter than you. What did you think about that? I personally don't think that Nolan's intention is to do anything in terms of, I want to prove how smart I am. Because when you look at all of his films, there isn't really that reaction across any of them, apart from Tenor, in my opinion. Because Inception is complicated. I just think Inception has way better pacing. The reason being, I think, is because Inception feels slowed down which is why i feel like you sort of get on board a lot more with all of the characters and there's actually more characters i find in inception than there is in tenor um but i think with i don't think it's no one's intention to think hey i'm smarter this here's this really smart idea i just think that he doesn't want to assume the intelligence of his audience he knows that they can work things out which i do really admire i like the fact he's not trying to make things just too easy for us however in, in, in Tenet's case, I think it's just because he had so many bold ideas, like all those visuals he had in his head. It was more like, how can I pull this off as a director, as a filmmaker? And I feel like when you have such um, very uh, blown up visuals, which are amazing, you probably do start to forget about, or maybe you don't feel like you're focusing as much on the small elements of a film that you need. Um, because, you know, having like that motor motorway chase sequence, the last half an hour of the film is just insane. Uh, you've got all of these scenes involve pretty much spectacle after spectacle after spectacle. And I think within that, because that was probably his, I think his attempt was to be like, how can we make the biggest film possible? How can I uh, create this very um, clever concept idea and put it into as many amazing sequences that i've never tried as a filmmaker before but when you do that it's i think it was a challenge he didn't realize in in realizing oh wait there is so much that there's more emotional depth i could have focused on in terms of the story with the characters for example that something like inception does really well whereas tenor as much as i do love the film it needed more of the character development that I think we've, we've spoken on, on um, just more story beats, better pacing. I think that's what the film needs. Everything feels very rushed. I felt like the opening opera house sequence was amazing. Uh, and then if that felt kind of like, right, I'm in this now, I'm, I, I've got straight into this film, I'm hooked. And then I felt like within a blip, we were already at the Freeport scene. You know, it's that kind of, that kind of pacing, I think was just very odd to me when I came out of the cinema the first time I was like, 
not only was it complicated, everything just happened so fast. Like it felt like I blinked and we're already at like the next big sequence in the film. Uh, yeah, I can't really. Now that I'm, I'm trying to think back. It has been about a little over a week since I saw this movie. Um, I can't re. I'm trying to think about those little character moments, and honestly, I'm having trouble coming up with them. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any point where the movie just slows down and lets you get to know these characters. I mean, I guess there's the moment um after they go back in time and they're heading to the airport again which you could say but other than that there's not really any kind of moments where you do just get to breathe like joe said it is just kind of um sort of breakneck non-stop essentially just moving from one sequence to the other and that and that is definitely to the movie's detriment just want to pick up on what joe said as well i don't uh, no way do I believe that Nolan was intending to to say, look, I'm smarter than you with this. That's not what I believe his intention was at, at all. I, I, But I do think that is the end result of it, though. He he may not have intended um, to, to essentially make you feel stupid, but that's, that's kind of what happens. And I, I get what you're saying with him... Uh, with him wanting to challenge the audience and assume the intelligence of the audience and everything like that. But is there not something to be said about just wanting to enjoy a movie without having to like have a complex understanding of theoretical physics and all of that sort of stuff and have to break it down? That's, that's something I've, I've put in as well on my notes. I've written the, um, I think sometimes like, don't get me wrong. I appreciate any filmmaker that wants to push the boundaries in terms of what is accepted. Like, I think nothing is lazier than when you write a bog standard action movie, when you write a <gasps> comedy movie, I think they're just so boring and I don't end up watching half of them because I've just given up. So I like it when something like a filmmaker brings something new and fresh, but unfortunately in this, in this film's instinct, I feel like it's too much. Like you said, Joe, I think he's, I think he's come into it as a director and gone, this is the most ambitious thing I've ever worked on. And I think a lot of the little moments in the breakneck pace get lost because of that, because he's constantly going, if I'm not showing, I need to be explaining. And this movie is very, very much so between, uh, you know, if we, if we were to break it down, it's scene explaining about what we're going to do. Big action sequence doing that thing that we just said we were going to do. Scene explaining the next thing we're going to do. Do you, do you know what I mean? I feel like it's very like it is like it is a breakneck pace um and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but yeah like you say nathan sometimes i think nolan forgets that a lot of people go to the cinema to like kick back and relax and enjoy a movie and like i i'll be honest if i went to watch this again uh i would like uh, let's say let's say this for example if you went to the toilet once in this film you got no chance you got no chance whatsoever i I did i did go to the toilet you amateur nathan you amateur what are you doing? That changes the game. I had a large Fanta. I had a large Fanta. All right, leave me alone, Nathan. You got to go. You got to have. You got to have sips of your large Fanta. You got to go to the loo in the adverse, and then you got to limit yourself on the Fanta, Nathan. We've spoken about this. I know. I know. I usually don't. Usually, I'm good. Like before we saw Endgame, I downed like an entire liter of water before That's we went, and I was move. fine. I I deliberately <laughs> drank more water before I saw Endgame so that I could go to the toilet before. Nathan, you you lived in Portugal for a while, where films had an intervalo. Um, I did. Uh, would you would you have preferred yeah. to have an intervalo in this just to Google some physics? I would have. I would have absolutely preferred to have. Had a, if any movie needed an intervalo, <laughs> it's this one. Okay, 
Um, so yeah, I lived in Portugal for a while. Um, I think the first movie I went to see in Portugal, uh, all the movies were shown in English. They just had Portuguese subtitles, so it was great. Um, yeah, I think the first movie I went to see was Brightburn. Um, and, and I was not aware that there was an interval when I, when I went to see this movie. I found out halfway through the movie where some intense uh, was about to happen and then the screen just cut and everything went black and I was just sat there in the cinema on my own thinking, what is happening? Am I about to die? <laughs> and then it just came up on the screen, Intervalo, go get your snacks and your popcorn. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. Uh, so, yeah. And it has a timer as well. It's like two minutes. So you get two minutes to go to the toilet, do what you need to do, and then That's get good. back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this this movie could definitely have done with a little break in the middle there. A little intervalo in Tenet. Um, we've, we've spoken quite a little bit about like how Nolan's treated the movie. Um, one thing that I think we've all said that we liked was those little moments of character um, between... Uh, it's Neil, played by Robert Pattinson, and the protagonist, played by John David Washington. Um, what did you think about their relationship? Because they were kind of the the main two in the through line of this movie. Like you kind of spent the the whole movie with these guys. Uh, it was great. Yeah, I I did like those two. They're both great actors. Um, you really got on board with the the relationship and the friendship they built up. <laughs> I think I mentioned to you, like, by the end of it, it sort of became, like, uh, the Doctor and River Song, essentially. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> yeah, a relationship out of time, essentially. Um, but, yeah, th- those two those two were great, and it can't fault them at all. Yeah, I would say that I think those two, for the entire film, is really what kind of sells it a lot as well. I feel like, because there are other the other characters in the film are the ones that you probably don't buy into as much. Um, I like the characters a lot more than I think most people. Like some people have like really, really like slated like Kenneth Branagh in the film, Elizabeth Debecky. Is that right? Debecky? I think, I think it's Debecky. Is Kenneth Branagh in this movie? Kenneth Branagh is um, the 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 main Russian guy. What the villain? I'm I'm starting to think that Nathan didn't actually walk into a tenant screening. Yeah, Nathan, this is um, Nathan um, Elizabeth Debecky's husband, the Russian bloke that they're trying to stop. That's Kenneth Branagh. That's Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, he's the director of Thor. He is in. Uh, he's the guy in Dunkirk that says uh, you can. No, is it is it him that says you can practically see it from here? Home. What? That whoa, that's kind of blown my mind. That's Kenneth Branagh, and I want to say about Kenneth Branagh as well, actually, because I'm glad you brought him up. Um, I said to Joe about this, and I'll say it for Nathan as well. I'm not sure if you know this because Christopher Nolan is massive on practicality and effects. Like, if there's if there's one thing Chris Nolan's not going to do, it's phone it in when it comes to like visual spectacle. Yeah. Uh, but even even down to like our actors' um, devotion to being in a Chris Nolan movie. Uh, to get the part in this, uh, it's reported. I'm not sure if this is entirely true. If it is, it's mad. Uh, Kenneth Branagh uh, learnt how to, one, speak <laughs> Russian, two, speak Russian in a Russian accent, and three, speak Russian in a Russian accent backwards. Oh, my God. So that right there in itself, for me to even explain that has given me a headache. I can't imagine how he sure, must have surely felt. Though, surely, um, though, they can just take the audio and reverse it. I thought that, but there's something in it where the, he didn't do a lot of that. Like a lot of the actors learned how to do stunts backwards because the, the, when you reverse the flow of it, because half of the shot is not reversed, like because there'll be some people moving forward and backwards in time, uh, it, it had a weird effect on the film and it didn't look right. So he wanted a lot of people to actually do it. Okay. 
I get it with the stunts and the fighting. That makes sense because, yeah, one of them is going forwards, one of them's going backwards. But you'd think with audio, which is recorded and dubbed over anyway with ADR and everything like that, you'd think that surely you can just press a button and reverse that. Not not for big Kenneth, mate. Not for he wanted to do it all practical, <laughs> apparently. I think I think in terms of the backwards the reverse speaking, I think what it was is there's like certain scenes where, you know, the shot itself would have had to have been reversed. But if it's like a object or something in particular that's only inverted, the person, the actor had to speak backwards so on camera they look like they're still talking forward, even though they're having to reverse the shot. I think that's the general idea. I think in terms of like when there's someone that's talking over a walkie-talkie, I could be wrong, but I don't think that stuff was actually learned backwards. If if it was, then I don't know if that's either amazing or a wasted effort. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> wasted I think, effort, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, I, I think considering like that's reversing things is something I think we've all picked up like a an editing software at least once and like made something reverse itself. Like we, we can all do that. And I think with I mean, audio, you can do that in Snapchat. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the most basic, Oh, imagine that. Imagine, imagine Chris Tell Nolan it compared to Snapchat. Yeah. Tell it, Chris <laughs> Nolan takes on his nips, his next, um, his next project in Snapchat. Everyone's got dog filters on um, the way it was meant to be seen. Yeah, exactly. Cinema. Okay. No. So, uh, Nathan, you said earlier um, Elizabeth Debicki's character had a little bit to be desired. Um, I kind of want to hear you expand on that. Uh, yeah, um, it just seems it, as pretty much the only female character in the movie. I feel like she definitely should have um, had more to do because uh, it just seemed like a lot of it was just her essentially been in a abusive relationship for the most part yeah sure the moment at the end is is great and she definitely does get her revenge but her entire story is just centered around this whole relationship um and even the you know the the sequences themselves she's she's kind of just like pushed to the sides well while Robert Pattinson and John David and Washington go deal with it all, she really doesn't get much time to shine herself, which is unfortunate because I I liked her. She was she was great. There just should have been more of her. Really, I I read that a lot of people were a little bit ticked off that the one kind of big moment she had. Like I don't get me wrong. Like I think she's amazing. Like in the especially in the scene where they first meet uh, the protagonist first meets her character and they're having that. It's a bit of an exposition dump, but it's also a kind of charming scene at the restaurant. Um, I think she's brilliant. Her performance is incredible, and I think I saw a lot of people were a bit ticked off that as soon as it as soon as it comes to the point where she gets to be in a big uh, dramatic set piece like Nolan is famous for, um, she was put in the back seat of a car screaming, and then also she was injured so that she couldn't really take part in the rest yeah. of the action sequences. Yeah, she uh, was pretty much out of action for the rest of the movie. Yeah, like I I don't I don't want to I don't want to base her character down and say damsel in distress because i think she was a lot more than that but a lot of people are saying it went that way i don't know i don't know I'd how you guys that, feel i'd say that's a fair description personally joe what do you think about it mm, for me i think she's the only character in the film that despite an abusive relationship which in my opinion there is still so much of that happening in lots of films anyway so granted nolan probably had a chance to maybe do something different with that but you know, it's the film, it's his story, it's the characters he's put on screen. And, you know, if she, if it flipped and she was then suddenly one of the tenant soldiers who, you know, would that have even worked? Like, we, we can't say for sure. But 
for me, I think she has more to do than just be the abusive, um, be a part of this abusive relationship in the film. Because for me, in terms of the memorable points, it's not even actually the abuse part of it. Like, because there was one scene that I feel like really showcases the abuse when, like, Kenneth is, like, um, or Sator, sorry, I guess say the character's name, is, like, um, beating her, you know, and he shows the weapons and all that kind of stuff and before they get in the convoy. Um, whereas, apart from that, I actually feel like she is the only character in the film that has as much of a kind of... Uh, much of the heart of the story, in a way, because she's kind of the the one you want to see kind of succeed even more at the end because she's in this, you know, relationship. And I feel like when you have something like that, you kind of want them to succeed in the end. So I feel like if she was this in this abusive relationship, to be honest, one thing I was at, at first really disappointed with is when she got shot in the, where the turnstiles were. I thought if she dies there, then I completely agree with everything in terms of her character being useless, pointless, just there for the effect of pushing the, the protagonist forward in his story. But the fact that she wasn't and she's the one at the end that kind of gets her revenge, gets her kind of, you know, top on him, then I feel like I feel like that's something to be commended. And also the, the sort of relationship she has with her son, while it's not fleshed out massively, it's present and it's there and it's something that you kind of feel going going towards the uh, going throughout the film and the little kind of love that there is between her and the protagonist is in my opinion better than kind of the, not better in terms of the whole like for example the bond franchise but a lot of bond girls and that they were there to just be literally sexualized that doesn't really happen necessarily so much now in the bond films um but even in like the no time to die trailer if you look at it now anna de armes is like kicking some ass in the film but then you still got like his love interest where the first few shots you see her is her sleeping with james bond whereas in this one like I, it's not necessary to see that kind of you know if, if this was any other filmmaker there would have been a love scene in my opinion between the protagonist i and, i agree with um, that her character i think yeah like i don't get me wrong we're, we we're definitely not the first and we definitely won't be the last podcast to point out that james bond is <laughs> is filled with misogyny um, james bond just is misogyny yeah like he's he's designed to be that like he's a, he's designed to appeal to the whole like the gentleman kind of oh well that's how women should be treated kind of ridiculous <laughs> approach no, but you know what i mean that's that's kind of the way it goes um I think, yeah, I, the reason I didn't use the term damsel in distress is because I feel like it's very rare that a damsel in distress um, serves more purpose uh, than to just kind of be like, like let's, let's be honest, right? Uh, Mary Jane in the Raimi Spider-Man movies, damsel in distress through and through. Like there, there's not a single bit of her character that isn't really anything other than Oh shit! Yeah. Got to save her for Spider Man. Yeah. Um, the difference. A screaming, uh, a screaming woman to rescue all yeah, the time. Basic, That's basically, basically, yeah. she is. Whereas yeah. I, I agree with Joe in the sense that I do think, like, I'm kind of in the middle. I think Nathan's right in there saying she, and I agree, she could have been utilized a lot more. And I don't, I like you say, Joe. I don't know if, I don't know if, she, uh, like, making her one of the like the tenant soldiers at the end would have been the right move for her. But I'm sure with no one's imagination. Think it no, I it, think it would have no, been. No, it wouldn't have been. No. But with, with Nolan's imagination, I'm sure there was something more interesting that she could have done other than just lay in a bed. Um, but, again, I don't say damsel in distress because of the main point that her it was her, her motivations carried the movie. Like, yes, other people acted on them, but it was her 
her emotional journey to go on and i think that's that's the saving grace of the character but uh, yeah like I, there is a little bit left to be desired i think um what did you guys did you guys notice aaron taylor johnson was in this movie i, yes. I did not like <laughs> I, I i i said to you i called i when i was talking to you about it lawrence i called him not tom hardy because <laughs> you it did. just seems like that was that was a character that was meant to be played by tom hardy but then at the last second it was just switched out for this guy who i didn't even recognize yeah and then you told me it was aaron taylor johnson i was like what i did not look like him at all is it a prerequisite for a nolan movie to every actor to be unrecognizable to me apparently i think because that's a thing yeah clearly that's the case <laughs> um Joe, I'm wondering if you could expand on this. I feel like you'd have more knowledge. Uh, Sir Michael Caine. Was Sir Michael Caine playing Sir Michael Caine? Because Sir Michael Caine's character was named Sir Michael. And me and Nathan have that been totally debating... That threw me off. We've been debating whether or not he was speaking to the real-life Michael Caine. Um, so, um, before this podcast, I did a little bit of digging on that as well, because I'll be honest with you, <laughs> when, he, when he said goodbye, Sir Michael... I in the cinema just fucking freezed. <laughs> I, was, I was I was just like in my head I was like Chris Nolan I love you man but even that I was like that's just I I could in my head I was like is that ridiculous because I feel like in some aspects it's like some people would have been like oh it's so funny because it's Sir Michael in my head I was like what the f- <laughs> um however, of the however, millions did, of names I, he had to choose from like, yeah so <laughs> he I, went with so the I, so I did, very um, famous one yeah so i did um so i did some more digging and there's a couple of things that have come up about that scene actually which is i'll start off with the one thing which is um for that scene michael kane literally knows nothing about tenet knew nothing about what the hell he was doing all he knew was chris Nolan asked him to turn up on a day to do a scene with john david washington he wasn't going to say no because michael kane is um chris nolan's lucky charm at this point uh i won't say lucky actually some people don't like tenet um nathan uh so um, <laughs> uh, um i wouldn't say lucky charm but he's uh he's he, he's He's, you know, if if Chris Nolan had a Pandora bracelet, he would have Michael Caine's face on it. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, uh, great analogies from Joe here. Um, but in that scene, because he was only there for a day and knew nothing about the film, supposedly, it's not been confirmed, but supposedly it was to kind of make everything easier in the idea of not giving him an unnecessary character name or complicated character name to just pluck out of thin air. And because he's like a higher form of... British intelligence. Why not Sir Michael? The other thing is I now this is that even hard. <laughs> same, I, I think in a movie with time inversion, I refuse to believe that Chris Nolan was worried about a complication such as a name of a character. No, I, I think can't he was, believe that. Yeah. I cannot get on board with that. No, I, I, I don't think it's true either. I think it's just purely. I purely think it's Chris Nolan having some fun there. But I also heard as well that it's, um, this is even, I don't know if this is more ludicrous than the first point. I think it's just kind of, again, just fans making a point, is they think it's actually the, <laughs> sounds ridiculous, the retirement between Michael Caine working with Chris Nolan, which is why John David at the end of the scene says, goodbye, Sir Michael. Um, because if Chris Nolan was going to say, 
goodbye to Sir Michael. It definitely was to spend $230 million on the film to do it. Oh, my God. These, do, these, do these film reviewers know that they have, like, that they'll, they'll probably have each other's numbers at this point? Like, just send him a card, man. Like, say cheers. <laughs> I don't think either of those are true. I just think it's Nolan having some fun with... The spy genre is something, obviously, he's... You know, that's what he's achieving here. And I feel like the spy genre in some of the classic ones has always been kind of very on the nose and very kind of stylish in their way and sometimes they make very kind of silly little jokes and stuff and i feel like that is probably just his attempt at it but in some cases the reason why i feel like i don't care about it working or not because in my opinion it was such a small scene it's not something to kind of be you know i think that to focus on but i feel like because it's chris nolan now it's got to the point in his career where there is so much expectation from what he puts in a film that every little detail every little thing he does in that film is going to be picked upon, is going to be dissected, is going to be talked about, discussed, or whatever it is. So him doing that, it's almost like people can't comprehend the idea of Chris Nolan being like, oh my God, why is he making a very on-the-nose joke? That's not Chris... No like, what's going on? Is that supposed to mean something? Blah, 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 blah. So um, I just... All I can say is when I, when I heard it, I just, you know, I just I, I feel I feel like with that, though, like, I, I do agree that people put a lot of expectation on Christopher Nolan, but I think that you can't, you have to walk the line. You have to know what you are. Like, you can't, you can't be the same guy that leaves a film as confusing and as emotionally impactful as Inception open-ended and then be the same guy that cracks a thanks Michael Caine joke. Like, I feel like, I feel like that's not yeah. what Nolan does very well exactly that's the thing it's like he can't he can't do one thing or the other it's like you have an expectation you don't know what to expect from a chris nolan film so when he does something mildly different in any type of nature it's still then people's expectations being like what like why is that there you know so uh, i have a question for joe um so there's still a lot which i don't understand about this movie i just want to know your thoughts on if uh, just regular people in this world walking about driving down the highway notice a car that is going backwards and <laughs> doing anything like that because it, it's because it kind of seems like they don't it because everyone just carries on as normal and it seems like they don't notice that is that right so you're saying like how do the ordinary i say ordinary people how do just let's say pedestrians see the inverted time um yeah i think so what it is when you go when you go through a turnstile, you are. This sounds really, this sounds like I'm literally picking out the trailer's quote here, and I am. You are the thing that is inverted. No one else is. Only you are. So there is no. In terms of whether people are seeing that or not, I don't necessarily think so because if you're inverted, the world is acting normal, and then but from your perspective, you're seeing them in reverse. So I think. For me, any pedestrian that's watching this, I can only assume that they are seeing what, for example, John David sees. You know, when like he's driving down the highway and he sees the turned over car, and then obviously, like yeah. we've all seen in the trailers, it then flips back. I would assume that everyone else in that particular world is also seeing that. But then, would they not also see? But then, would they not also see the car that is driving backwards towards John David Washington? Well, because that one, in that instance, the uh, they're all now inverted. I'm just picturing a, like a like a car driving backwards, weaving in and out, like in this incredible stunt. And there's just this other regular Sunday driver just driving down, going to see his family, and he's like, "Wow, look, 
What's that? They must be shooting a movie. <laughs> or, or another guy waving his hand, these bloody kids always messing around on the motorways. Um, I mean, to be fair, it's a, good, um, it's, a, it's a good question that I unfortunately don't have a technical answer on. I just, yeah, I don't uh, know. So, yeah, I just, wanted, I just wanted to get your view on it because it's something that I'm... It, one of the things that just still doesn't quite make sense to me, like how, how the time travel affects other people, essentially, um, or if it does at all. So the last... Like I said already, last half an hour, 20 minutes or whatever it was of the film. Um, that was certainly very complicated. That was like, oh my God. But my God, what I was watching though was pretty insane. To look at the people that were inverted going reverse and to watch the guys going forward, those explosions going, you know, in forward, then you see it in reverse. Ones that are happening at the same time, you know, what the hell? That's just crazy. Um, the whole algorithm thing, you know, the nine pieces of, you know... Um, the nine pieces that form the algorithm to reverse the entropy of the earth to destroy civilization. Um, the whole idea of Kenneth Branagh's motive being, if I can't live, no one can have the earth, basically. That's a very, I would say it's a very cliche villain thing to have, but then don't forget this is the spy genre, which is having, I guess, those those cliche aspects of a villain. So I feel like one side people hate the idea of that, but on the other side, I feel like I know the intention is to make this the very clever espionage spy type film that has those um, cliche tropes. Um, the, the last sequences, I think, are amazing. For me, I feel like, um, you know, when the, there's the reveal that effectively some point in the future, Neil will come back and he will sacrifice himself to save the protagonist and help the protagonist move forward with stopping Doomsday. That moment for me was I guess you could say it was the one that had the most kind of emotional connection in the film in the sense of like oh my god that's a major character that's their friendship but on the other side because it, everything was happening so quickly and everything was so complicated I did sort of react a little bit like oh like uh okay I know that's a big moment that seems like how do I re how do I react basically um and then with the ending sequence of them discovering, you know, with the protagonist discovering, you know, he's been friends with Neil all the time. He doesn't know it yet. And I think that was really heartfelt. That was really great. But it almost feels like that in a sense. I know you can't know it beforehand. It's clever to now probably go back and watch it and see those moments where Neil already knows stuff about the protagonist, like the whole Diet Coke thing. He knows what he would drink, but yada, yada, yada. It's it's interesting to for me to feel like a film would need a second viewing because I think films having a second viewing is a great thing. The idea you can go back to a film and be like, let me watch this again. But in Tenet's case, it's almost like seeing it again makes the whole story completely clear and makes everything make sense, which is like the first viewing should still do that on a level and the second viewing should just enhance those ideas. Whereas in this case, it's like on the first viewing, you get to the end and you go, right, Here's the story, here's the film. All that has happened. The last sequence in the film has all these moving elements. There's this particular connection between the character. There's you get the end bit there where you sort of get the reveal of the protagonist being the one that forms Tenet the whole time, all that kind of stuff. And it feels like to me that a second viewing should just enhance those ideas you had. Whereas instead it feels like a second viewing is actually just going to give you the complete idea of what the story is and the complete clarification because you now know everything beforehand. Whereas for me, a first, a first viewing should at least be able to have those, um, should be able to meet those certain beats, story elements, like story beats in the first place anyway. The ending sequence, I think, is it, great and very complicated and there's a lot of complex movements to it. Um, but it does make sense. Like when I looked it up, I was like, that makes complete sense of what's happening. Um, but on the flip side, to me, it almost felt like after I looked at it and like after I watched it and thought about it, 
it made me think that Kenneth Branagh's plan in that sense, because it's running both forward and backwards at the end there, it, to me, I realised, wait, his plan was never going to work. Like, his plan was never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. um, so for me, I, I, when that sequence started and I realised what they were doing with going forward towards the explosion and then people reversing themselves to tell them what had happened... That's how they can the well like what do they call it in the film the temporal pincer movement or something isn't it something it's like, like that, yeah when you're yeah when you have one running forward one running back to basically get the information you need to tell the other team for me it was like once I started to grasp that I was like oh wait now I feel like there's no stakes now because clearly Kenneth Branagh doesn't win he can't so even though I'd probably knew he would in anyway but still it kind of drops that element out for me yeah no I'd, I'd say so, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I would agree. So um, the third act for me was just bizarre because, like, for the most part, this movie had, like, you know, been, like you say, been a series of, like, heists and spectacle moments and, and really, really enjoyable ones to watch. Like, obviously, there was the opera sequence at the beginning, uh, the airport heist, the backwards fight, the the... My favorite sequence of the of the movie is probably the motorway sequence where they close in on the fire truck. I think I think that's a, a great sequence. I really enjoyed that. Um, but then it just like suddenly it just takes this sort of like hard handbrake turn, and there's suddenly a fucking army and another army having a fight with time and you blowing up buildings, but then unblowing up those buildings, and then and then driving like vehicles through the through the swarm of bullets and everything like that but then the bullets are going backwards and it, it just seemed so such a big contrast from the rest of the movie and it was really hard to just grasp what was going on like what all of a sudden where had this come from and yeah i'm sure with more viewings and reading up on it and everything like that it, w it would all make sense i, I don't doubt that it is for the most part anyway logically sound and that it would make sense but just while i was actually watching the movie it just did suddenly seem to just oh okay this is where we are now i guess that being said though it was it was great to watch like it was visually very great like i i called it the time war joking around but like if if we had seen stuff like that in doctor who with the time war that would have been great i'd have loved that like using time as an actual weapon to like you know blow buildings and then unblow them up but then use that to destroy the building again that's great that that was amazing yeah like i said just the imagination on on this guy is immense like i i i'm i'm in the court of where nathan is i think that the the third act was really out of left field and for like a spy movie to suddenly flip the genre entirely I, I'll be honest, it, it doesn't it didn't help me that the last Nolan film I saw was Dunkirk. And I think Dunkirk mm. handled war a hell of a lot better than Tenet did. Um Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, so I think like that that film for me is virtually perfect. Like a Dunkirk I think is one of the, the best films and I think it's my favourite Nolan film. Um yeah, it was like, like I say, I just I, I think that he's handled war a lot better and if he was committing to the spy genre I'd rather he stuck to it. So we got Tenet. Tenet was the movie that we got from Chris Nolan, and it's kind of his iteration on a spy movie. Would you have just preferred a regular spy movie from Nolan instead of this? 100%. I, I would agree. I personally, I'd agree. I think the imagination's there, and it's amazing, but I feel like he overcomplicated it where he could have put a lot more emphasis on 
making amazing high sequences, making these James Bond-esque incredible moments that actually have grounded weight to them. Okay. Um, if he was going to do that, I would just rather watch a James Bond film directed by Christopher Nolan, which isn't a bad thing. Like, that probably would be quite great. I'd love that. I'd love that fully. I feel like the uh, reinventing the spy genre is probably something that doesn't really need to be done that much. And I feel like if Nolan did it, it probably still would have been quite clever. But if he was going to do it, it literally would have been James Bond because he's a massive James Bond fanatic. This is him living out his James Bond fantasy, but putting James Bond on acid, basically. Um... So if he was going to do a kind of ordinary version of that, I would rather just watch him direct a James Bond film. Okay, no, fair enough. That's um, fair enough. That's fair enough. I think I think it could be cool to see him do, like, keep the time inversion, just maybe not go 110% with it. I, just... I would be interested in a world where this time inversion is a normal thing used by governments. I'd like to see that world and not have it explained to me. Like, I'd rather just see that it's it's something that big kind of intelligence agencies can use, and I'd like to see him do that. Because I think mm. he I think he bit off more than he could chew with by having it introduced to the protagonist at the same time. I would have much preferred the protagonist got to that scene, and she's like, oh, the, so this is what happens with the bullet inversion, and this is, this is how it works. And he could have gone, yeah, I know, everyone knows. This is, uh, we know, I've been trained in this. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. And then we just have to accept it rather than nitpicking it. Any quick favourite moments? I'm, I'm, oh, I think we should wrap up fairly soon, but obviously I don't want, I don't want Joe to be uh, taken away from giving a bit of love. Yeah, yeah, I did say already I en- really enjoyed the, um, the motorway sequence with the fire truck. There was great tension throughout that scene, really played well. Um, and obviously it's Nolan, so it's all 100% practical. So they did just close in on a fire truck or whatever, going down some German highway. Um, yeah, really enjoyed that. It was a great moment. Um, for me, all of the high octane action sequences, no matter what it was, were amazing. I think the visuals, like Nathan said, the practical effects that Nolan achieves is genuinely incredible. And I think it's something that you know, for for me as a film, you know, for me as a filmmaker, obviously, you know, Lawrence, we make films. That is something I would want to probably do as well. I would love the idea of doing something more practical. The idea of immersing not only the people on set, but the people who are watching it into knowing that actually all happened. It's something, it's just amazing. So that was a great singular moment from the film, Joe. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is what happens. This is what happens when you bring me on a Nolan-related podcast. This is what's going to happen. No, look, I'm going to say I'm going to say my favorite moment in this movie, probably a weird favorite moment to have, but it's it, it caused the most kind of physical reaction from me when I was watching it. Uh, I think this is some of Nolan's best hand-to-hand combat work. Uh, not Nolan himself, uh, <laughs> the director just throwing hands. Um, but uh, John David Washington, there's a moment where he's fighting uh, a bunch of like these kind of like just you know forgettable henchman kind of things uh, and he goes into the he goes into the kitchen picks up a cheese grater and ends up slicing someone's face down it's, it is odd it is odd um right how happy of a pod was this we're going to jump into our nathan doesn't like it but our awful rating system i think it's great joe how happy of a pod was this for you um i'm pretty depressed to be honest with this podcast no, i'm joking. But, but when he says <laughs> when he says how happy of a pod he means specifically the movie um, of course, someone's <laughs> never reached the end of the runtime. I actually Cheers, have. Joe. Your ending to your podcast, though, are a bit confusing. <laughs> I can't tell if you're saying, like, if you're happy about the podcast <laughs> you just did or you <laughs> No, we're, talk- we're talking specifically about okay, the movie. Um, uh, very happy. 
very happy uh, pod. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, how happy of a pod was uh, Tenet for you? For me, I enjoyed the spy movie elements of this pod. Um, and... Yeah, I'd I'd rather have it than not have it. So I like I like this pod. This is an okay pod for me. Yeah, so this was a um moderately happy pod for me. Um you know, it wasn't really all that exciting altogether, but there was moments which I enjoyed. There was moments which definitely had me engaged in the movie and like I said the action sequences, the visuals, everything like that was great just did come apart and was just let down in the overall story but yeah overall it's a moderate pod for myself okay um thank you very much for coming on the pod joe uh, it's been a pleasure having you uh, and thank you very much uh, to anyone who's listened to it especially this way through we are trying to stick to the rough upload schedule of uploading on sundays and wednesdays uh, it will go back down to weekly but we just want to give you a little bit more as we're trying to introduce this pod Uh, into your lives Uh, so I've been Lawrence thank you very much Uh, I've been Nathan thank you and I've been special guest Joe thank you so much (laughs) (laughs) thank you follow us on Twitter follow us on TikTok stops right I'm, I'm stopping this now another happy pod Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.